What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hollywood Already Did It, your weekly movie podcast for things that have been rebooted, remade, sequelized, adapted, or otherwise unoriginal and have source material, and whether or not we need to keep going back to these wells. As always, I am your host, Blake Schultz, and with me is Terrence Tatum. Hello, everyone. And this week, we are going into the 2021 release of Dune, another movie that was delayed on delayed on delayed a remake or adaptation, however you want to look at it, of a a disaster of a 1984 movie (laughs) based off of one of the most important classic and influential sci-fi novels, arguably of all time. And here we are. We finally did it. Terrence, what did you think of Dune? Where did you see Dune? How did, did you experience Dune? There was no way that I was not seeing this in the theater, so I definitely did not do the HBO Max, although I will subsequently watch it multiple times afterwards via that way. Um, but yes, I watched this. I went to uh, Universal City Walk here in LA, uh, which is a theater that I don't frequent to go to. I, it, usually my, my trips over there are event films, like Dark Knight, I'm seeing that in the IMAX there, uh, just because of the parking and just, it's a kind of a pain to get to. But I was like, all right, this is where we're going. And I went there and um, my mind was blown. I, uh, I don't know what I was thinking that I was getting into. Uh, I have not, I am one of, I have not read the book, although I'm a huge sci-fi nerd. Uh, this is a movie in a series in the franchise that sort of has escaped me. Uh, and I, I, I call myself trying to watch the David Lynch version the night before. And uh, Jesus, that's a, that is an experience. Um, we'll talk about that in a bit, but for this one, walked in and walked out just smiling from ear to ear. I immediately, I think you said the same thing off mic, but I immediately purchased the Kindle version of this because I was like, I just want to consume as much as I possibly can about this world. It is massive in scope. And I know that that might throw some folks off, especially for the first hour. It's, it's just like, I'm going to explain in exposition the hell out of this. And normally that bothers me. Uh, it did not in this because it's so beautifully done. I, I've heard the term slow paced and, and, and or boring from some folks, but I think it's deliberately paced and, and the pacing did not concern me whatsoever because I was in the entire time. It reminds me of the first season of Game of, something like Game of Thrones where we need to put all these pieces on the board. And then once we go, we have everybody on the board, we're going. And once they go, I just couldn't. I, this felt epic. The, you don't get stuff that feels like this. Probably, I haven't felt like this since like the Lord of the Rings in the theater where it's just like, oh, this is, this is a world. Like you have just created an entire world and I am, I'm here for it. And so <laughs> I was in and sadly when it was over, when the movie ended, I was like, oh, have they not filmed the second one already? What are they doing? Yeah, I really wish it turned out that they had just secretly done that and it was ready to go. Right. Because, <laughs> you know, there, were, there was so much conversation of, oh, we took this big risk in doing Dune in these two parts. And if it's not good at the box office, we won't get a sequel. And if it, the HBO Max deal is going to lead people to not go to the box office and we won't finish it. And then Deadline reported an interview with the head of Time Warner and, the, and all these bigwigs at the company. And they were like, well, of course, we're going to keep making a Dune. Yeah. Where we've got a show about the There's, witches coming. Right. We've got like, what are you guys talking about? We're we in have this. Been invested deeply into the Dune story. And I was like, yeah. oh, great. Why didn't we say this a year ago? Ages ago. We could have already been off to the races here, guys. But I, I also went to the a Universal City Walk, which is a like a proper IMAX. It's in the 
one by 1.43 by one ratio. Most IMAXs are 1.90 to one. And then you have your regular two by 35 to one screen. So you see everything. And watching that screen go from its bar to this wide area, I don't think I've ever in a movie felt like I was walking outside, like that feeling when you see a movie during the day, and you walk outside and the sun hits you and you're like, why is the sun out? I'm disoriented, yeah. That is how I felt just by the sheer brightness of the cinematography and how the light pops around rocks and doors and canvases. And there were so many moments where I was like, like a vampire, just like, oh, I forget, oh my goodness. Um, I also loved it. It was also my, I have not read the book. I did purchase a very large hard copy version of it to consume slowly now. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. I was impressed by all of the actors. It's, it's great when you get a like star studded cast and everybody's performing mm -hmm. at the top of their game. There wasn't one person that wasn't communicating well. I thought they did such a good job of explaining this massive store story and lore without overdoing it or overcomplicating it. There was also a lot of show don't tell. We have some imagery with the bull and this history of his uncle and kind of just seeing what the spice does to you. Like, there's a lot of exposition, but I felt like nobody stopped the movie to be like, so here's the deal. Just right. kind of a lot of like, if you're paying attention and watching it, You'll you sort it. of get what's going on and they mm -hmm. boil it down then to what isn't necessarily a simple story, but it, it's a consumable story yeah. in a way that you're like, oh, I get it. Chosen one prophecy, ABC. We're putting a lot of pieces on the board. There's two warring societies. One of them is under the ground. They want all this spice. We're on this uninhabitable world and we got to go. But my God, the cinematography, not since Blade Runner 2049, no surprise, yeah. <laughs> had I been so just entrapped in watching, like, like every frame is a painting. It really was just something where I just constantly was like, wow, it's like a museum is all around you. It was, it was just so cool. And the, the action beats were really well done. The tension was brought up a lot, I think, to, small beats when they're in the plane with his wife and you know she he's trying to do the scream and the noise and make it work so and well they're communicating done. with their hands and then he gets it and yeah. it, incredible and everything with oscar isaac and him getting shot in the back with that poison dart and the cavity in his tooth and it popping out and the story was so well told it is and it, it made you want so much more and I think a lot of people are if they aren't aware because I don't think they did a great job unless you're in the know of explaining that this was a part one I knew a lot of people who were like oh I didn't realize so I sat down that I was in for a part one yeah I we like you don't get it because none, none of the advertisement says that nothing in their promo runs for anybody has said that it has been assumed for most that this looks like it's just a one a one film and then the movie opens and you get that part one that comes on the screen and you're like oh you just pulled the wool over a lot of people's eyes now I was aware of it but I know a great deal of people were like wait what I, huh? But I guess I also wasn't, I, like I think about the first time I saw Lord of the Rings and I was 13 and I went with my parents to like a 9.30 movie and they were both talking about how important this movie was and how incredible this was going to be and the, 
the reverence and it's Lord of the Rings and these stories. And I didn't know anything about it. I was 13. And I walked out of this three hour movie as a 13 year old who until then had basically just watched 90 minute comedies and Spider-Man two. And was like, I, one, why was this movie so long? Two, why didn't it have an ending? And I was the whole drive home, just like, but it didn't end. There's no end. And finally they were like, do you, are you not aware that there's two other books coming? And I think because of that, that's now just out in the ether. Everyone's grown up with Lord of the Rings and seen it. Things like Harry Potter, even the, the Matrix, Star Wars, even the Marvel movies, nothing really has an ending anymore. Mm-hmm. And I sort of felt like, oh yeah, this does sort of wrap up this character arc of Timothy Chalamet trying to almost find purpose. If you look at it through the lens of like character is story and here's a guy with a lot of different birthrights and he's ultimately making a decision. And then there's the like quote unquote, it's not after the credits, but what would be like a post-credit moment that's going to lead us into two. And you're like, okay, I feel like this is a complete story. And it's a good stepping off point. We can stop here and we'll come back because his, his beat uh, is sort of complete as far as what he's about to become um, yeah. there. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, I, Star Wars falls into that too, although the very first A New Hope had an ending. And then from that point on, they've never Unless you think about Darth since. Vader flying off into the sun. That's true, that's true. I can't really think of the last movie that didn't have somebody being like, and then we'll set up and, another one. Correct. Like, like I, I just- there's always Lego pieces being put on top of each other. Uh, and so I'm, I, I know there are some people who walk out of this and I'm like, well, this didn't have an ending. And I'm like, ah, it does if you're paying attention. And if you, if you have invested enough into the characters, then you definitely have an ending for, uh, for what Paul sort of has to go through in, in this flick. Now, look, they cut it off at one of the most interesting parts. <laughs> like, it, it is almost designed like a TV show that way where it's, it's like Breaking Bad ends and you're like, are we getting season two? Right, where's the rest? How could you do this? <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. But I mean, like, Lord of the Rings was, that it was egregious when I was 13 at the end of Fellowship of the Ring. They just sailed off on the boat. No we're one's gonna together. Keep, like, we're going to keep going. Everybody separate. What? <laughs> and I, I'm like, oh, man, I'll never forget just because I love Lord of the Rings so much now and I'll never forget that just seething car ride home of like, I'm furious. Do you think that that helps if people know that it's a, a chapter of a of an ongoing saga? Well, of course it does. I think one, it kind of gives you an idea of what to expect. I think there is a, a catharsis in an ending that is more traditional that you don't get there is kind of the, the revelation of theme and the closure of all these concluding right. storylines and the you know people want to walk out with like evil is defeated we don't really want to walk out when they when it hasn't been i think you know infinity war we all knew what was coming lord of the rings except for mm-hmm. me knew what was coming empire strikes back we knew we were getting mm-hmm. another yeah. one it, uh if you weren't very clear on it i could see where you would be like but you guys kind of just, you did, you had three hours to tell me a story. And you chose and you to still not end it. Story. Yeah, yeah, you I still didn't end it. would be upset. Yeah, um, that's a good point. I, I feel like, I, I, I don't know, I'm a moviegoer that I, I prefer, even though like you said with Infinity War, I knew what was going to happen, but I like not ending on a happy note or a high note. I, I, it might be bizarre, uh, but I, I sort of like, hey, there's more to come. We'll be back. I think it's, we'll- it's almost less of a happier, sad note and more of like, 
what is this story ultimately about? And the ending usually happy ending or sad ending gives you that like, hey, if we were talking about environmentalism, here's what we were saying about environmentalism. And this one is like, (laughs) we'll tell you later. We'll get to that. This movie basically has a secret and your friend's telling you he's going to tell you at lunch. And then at lunch, whoever the secret's about sits down and he's like, I'll tell you at the end of the day. And you're like, you son of a bitch. (laughs) I know Mm -hmm. you have a secret. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of knew, I mean, I think some people with the press, if they were actually paying attention, the director has has gone out to say that if you're coming to see this film for Zendaya, sorry. <laughs> like, she's not really in it. She's in all the promos, she's doing all the tours. She's going to be a bigger character in the second one, and that sort of should lead people to sort of know what they're kind of getting into, because she is probably on the pecking order right now, she would be the number two person that they've sort of put out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, those trailers. And we know, I think they've said the next one is her character's point of view. So I see what we're doing, but it is a little like, oh, okay. Y'all showed me that dream sequence a lot. I'm not saying we needed to save time because I loved this movie, but if we were going to save some time. About five, ten minutes of that, you could kind of, you could start shaving. Am I saying that you can have enough dreams about Zendaya? Of course not. Of course not. Um, (laughs) But if we're going to save time. Yeah. I know where we can do it, but that being said, this movie is obviously so far being called a success. It's on its way to make a lot of money despite its HBO Max setup, which we'll talk about later. But yeah. we have tried to make Dune really not once, but twice, once in a TV show setting, which also didn't work. Mm-hmm. You you attempted to watch this I did. movie. I did. Do you Are you aware of what David Lynch almost made had he not made Dune? No. He would have made Return of the Jedi. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm glad that he did not get that because that would have been a completely different fucking. I don't know what that movie would have been. Uh, yeah, no, I had not. I had not seen. I was aware that David Lynch had done this, uh, and I I was aware that there seems to be a fact, two factions. There's a faction who are Doom fans that are like he completely butchered and did God knows what to it, and there's some David Lynch fans who are like. David Lynch is a weird man, and I kind of dig this. Uh, but there's those two groups don't intersect. They never, ever merge. And so I watched this. I was like, all right, for this show, I was like, well, we usually talk about the, the, the previous and whatever sort of come before this. So let me like keep put an eye on this. So I cracked on HBO Max. That's where they, they have it there. And I was like, all right, let's see what's going on. I made it 45 minutes into, into that movie. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I don't know what this is. It's weird now thinking about a, some of it watching the this one and going and kind of thinking of it as oh i can see what he was attempting to kind of pull from pieces of the book but he just does a very different a whole bizarre one of it i think this movie does the, the current one uh denise version does a much better in just the first 10 minutes of giving us exposition that movie chooses to give us exposition by just having a floating head at the opening of the opening scenes like i'm going to talk you to death for five minutes straight about what you should know there i'm like well that's a bizarre way to introduce a world uh, okay and has this weird thing of having folks do their inner monologue so that the audience can hear it instead of just kind of like being an actor and doing it and thinking it like i'm gonna have the inner monologue be said out loud and i can't quite tell who's saying the inner monologue with three people on the scene at the same time why is this a choice all of this movie was just i, was, I don't know what's happening um and it's a weird thing because I think this movie is very, I mean, this book, 
clearly is very dense and i haven't well, read there's it, a bible in the back of it right um but it's clear that david lynch like cool 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 I'll, i like a couple of those concepts i'll pull that i'm gonna do my own thing uh and i think that's why a lot of people were kind of torn on where, where they stand with this he makes a lot of swings that i don't think hit uh on, in a lot of cases no, I've, I don't think Dune was the let's take a big risk property. I mean, you know, could you imagine if somebody had done that with like the first Harry Potter movie and we're like, well, we're just going to take, there's magic and a boy. That's all we're doing. One of the craziest things to me that I'm sitting here, especially now after seeing it, because Timothy Chalamet looks like a, a teenager, like he looks like a child. He's supposed to be young. Kyle in the in the David Lynch one looks like a, he's a 25-year-old or 30-year-old. And that makes a huge difference as to what this, I'm making my quest to grow up and figure out my purpose. But in this film, I'm like, well, he should know his purpose. He's a, he's a, grown, he's a grown-ass man by now. <laughs> well, you know, Terrence, a lot of dwindling 25-year-olds are coming up and now realizing Still figuring they don't out. know. <laughs> They all thought they were going to have it at 25. It's a <laughs> fallacy. Yeah. Things are going to happen. You have no idea. The spice is so important. <laughs> no, I agree. That first movie, it, it's very experimental. It, it deters a lot. There's a lot of style, but there was also a ton of studio interference in it. We kind of get this weird muddled half his movie, half their movie. It isn't quite dude. And it was truncated to fit the book. I think now... We live in a time where studios almost want you to go, well, can we make nine movies in an HBO show? Yeah. <laughs> where, you know, in the 80s, it was like The Empire Strikes Back, I believe, gross less than A New Hope. We were still seeing diminishing returns on sequels. So I'm sure that they weren't like the Dune universe. You're right. And sci-fi was, was that Dune. genre. Yeah. Sci-fi was that genre. They were like, we don't really care. We're not throwing that much money. We don't care about this because the returns weren't there. So it, it's a it's a shame. It really is a weird thing to be like, man, he was gonna do this bonkers movie for yeah. the to end Star Wars, and instead just crapped out this adaptation. He, he, that David I, doesn't put his name on it; like he doesn't claim it. Like he's like, ah, yeah, that's I don't really because I guess they took it away from him. Like an hour of the film is cut. It's it's just a lot that went around this property. And it's a studded cast, like Patrick Stewart's in it and Brad Dorff. And you're like, wow, this is a I mean, it really talent. probably was the Justice League of that time. I'm yeah. sure if Twitter existed in 1984, there would have been a release the Lynch cut. Correct. Right? Yeah. It there's sounds like, three, like there's this massive, massive director's cut correct. that we'll never get to see that now we can bully studios for better or worse. And they'll eventually make it. And they'll, they'll cave. <laughs> Got to get those streaming service numbers. Yeah. But it's interesting. And it's funny then that we kind of went back to this well, because then we tried to make this TV show that also just didn't work, even though yeah. that seems like a much more appropriate medium for this. As dense it is, yeah, that makes you more know? sense. But it just didn't ever quite catch, which is weird because like in the 80s, sci-fi was starting to get there. We were getting a lot of Star Trek. Star Wars was getting big. Battlestar was a lot happening in that space. So it's odd that the sci-fi novel couldn't quite find its footing until now. And I wonder how much of that is just like money. 
But I also wonder, you know, we, we get into the like, well, why are we doing this? And I feel like something I hear people say a lot when they're like, oh, they remake everything. They should remake bad movies and make them good. And every now and then I'm like, you're missing the point that nine times out of 10, they want money. Yeah. They're not going to. I'm going to pick the thing that no one actually knows and I'm going to remake also, that. So like what an insult to those filmmakers to be <laughs> like, hey, we're going to take this terrible thing you made yeah we're gonna give it three times the budget and we're gonna give it to this person and maybe they can fix your horrible mistake <laughs> uh so i don't know i mean i'm with it i would love it to see but like i wouldn't get excited i can't think of a horrible movie that exists that i'm like uh but if only right i don't know what an example that is if you have it tell me because i hear this argument all the time and whenever i'm like like what why don't you take bad like, movies that no one knows and read them like all right do you have one do you have like three of them we, that you can name what are you saying we got to make like, an a24 troll 2 movie is that the pitch <laughs> uh because yes <laughs> yeah now that i say it out loud let's do it but yeah. so like the first reason that i feel like we're doing this again is just that we've now made things like lord of the rings we've created things like the mcu the matrix these giant giant enormous universes that have shows and sequels mm -hmm. and everything under the sun and we can finally give this story the budget and scope and talent that it deserves and you even hear these things of him like i, I don't know how true this is but somebody told me that uh dennis did blade runner 49 as practice for sci-fi for dude i was like this, you can't take this is my like, this is my previous like this what is, what is that like training against the 96 bulls the two, to have your own chance this two hour two hour masterpiece that i've made is my practice run oh <laughs> okay sure i guess if we're if we're just gonna take if that's the level the cheat code we're doing influential yeah. amazing pieces of art and be like this is basically t-ball for me. I don't, I'm just throwing this. This is just here. I'm just getting my stance right, you know? <laughs> sure. What? Why not? Okay. So we're, you know, we're doing it again. He's not doing that. But I, it, it really, I think you get to see that. You see a modern direction, a like really filled out world. And then there is always the like introduction to a new audience. And with this movie and this book, I'm like, this is a great example because I, I feel like, you know, the popular joke on Twitter I always see is like, oh, guy who sees one movie is like, man, this new movie is really giving me Iron Man vibes. And it's like, yes, but like there was an order. There's Things an, happened before oh, you were yeah, born. And I heard so many people doing and be like, oh, this reminds me of like Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings. I'm like, guys, 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 can you look at the timestamp of when that first book came out? I think you might have your order incorrect. People are like, oh, Halloween, so many things are stolen from that. Like this movie is stolen from that. I'm like, guys, Halloween's the originator of all of these things. You might want to just do some homework. Right, it, it, not even hard homework, just like a quick Wikipedia search. <laughs> I'm not even seeing you need to watch the whole franchise. No. Just like, you know, it's like, well, yeah, like they did it. But so Dune, this book is written in the 60s. I believe it really started being written in like 1959 before it was published. The Age of Aquarius is, yes. where, is where we are in the world. And it's pretty crazy because we talk about unsuccessful adaptations about Dune, but in so many ways, Star Wars was a successful adaptation of Dune. Correct. You get the empire to the Baron. We start on Tatooine instead of Akaris. We start 
we're dealing with kind of these like big political ideas, this notion of a prophecy and a chosen one, but Luke has multiple birthrights. It's Mm -hmm. to the Jedi, it's to his father, it's to Obi-Wan, to the rebellion. We're seeing that same internal struggle and pull. And that's not because George Lucas is as smart of a writer as... (laughs) you know hubbard was we can see how that turns out as it goes along yes (laughs) i'm not saying george lucas isn't a smart writer he's obviously he created star wars he's a brilliant man but like you know we're not we're not artists we're thieves and a great art like that's where we are and it's crazy because then i feel like you even get into things like the matrix these ideas of altering your state of consciousness and your reality and stories about what is that reality and how do we monetize that and keep some people subdued and keep some people awake and really use that becomes such a big part of the matrix and so right. many other and again like this prophecy the idea of the chosen one also wasn't created by hubbard that goes back even further even his own book was influenced by people that came before him but we're now getting to this place where the books were always granted that longevity and time to to gestate. And we kind of needed Dune to exist to get a lot of the sci-fi we have now. And it really wasn't until Lord of the Rings, I feel like, that we had a movie and an adaptation that matched the scope of the book. And it was that kind of success and that kind of cliffhanger that left me complaining on a car ride home after I watched one of the single greatest films of all time to then make studios, ironically, the same studio go, oh, well, we can leave them hanging as long as the quality keeps As up. long as everything before it comes is, right, is, is as a top quality. And I mean, you know, they're still making Dune books, but we now do live in a world where we go, well, we're going to tell you this story in the movie, and we're going to tell you this one on our streaming service. Mm-hmm. This one's going to be an audible podcast, whatever. And I feel like all of that, the technology, the way the studios operate, the, the mentality is what is allowing Dune to be a successful adaptation now. We're not truncating the work. So ironically, all of the things that, in, that Dune influenced sort of are now influencing Dune. Right. And I think this is one of the first times on the podcast that we've really come around full circle to be like, well, why are we doing this? We did it before and it did all of these wonderful things for the industry. And because of that, we're now able to do it right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting that those are the kind of ways that we now do it. We just didn't make movies that way. Yeah. I, I, we've gotten into this world, this time now, where when you get one property if you're good or if you have a following you end up getting like several things happening at once um star wars story kind of created that but harry potter is bleeding bled on to become these fantastic beasts quality aside because i don't know if i really want those but it becomes something else and then we're going to get something else lord of the rings has now become a television series game of thrones has had like failed pilots that we haven't even seen yet and also other spinoffs i think we're in this world now where if something hits you're going to get as much as you possibly can of that mind to you. And it's it's a wild time to be around because uh, I don't know if, obviously these, these original creators didn't always intend for their stuff to get just mass produced and, 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 and flipped over time and time again. But if it's done well and, and the audience wants it, it does satiate a, a quest for because all of these worlds that these people have created, the Lord of the Rings world, the Matrix world, this world are massive. 
And so there's so many pockets of stories that, yeah, the grand story, we say this with Star Wars all the time, like, why do we keep getting the Skywalker stories? These stories are, these worlds are so massive that, yes, the movies can tell this grand story about Paul and, and, and his stuff, but we can go off world and tell about all the stuff that's, yes, we know the Spice Planet is the planet that everything sort of revolves around, but there's so much other shit happening in this world. Just like you say with the witches spinoff that we're going to, the prequel that we're going to get like, yeah, that's a, they're a small piece of this world. Those witches are not as grand, but they're so powerful and so interesting that I'm like, yeah, I would like to know way more about them. Sure. Well, it's all these things that pique your curiosity in the movie. And that's something yeah. that they do very well. We see him enter this weird room. It's the only time his mom is afraid. And like in pain, in pain physical right. pain. Yeah. And he's presented with this box and then a knife to his throat. And it's that simple thing. It's just, you're going to go through a lot of pain. And if you resist the pain, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Yeah. An animal will cut off its own limb to survive. What are you going to do? And it's this one simple scene that tells us a lot about just Timothy Chalamet's character and just his mom's character. And his mom, and this, yeah. And this, this this world where they, she was put off to have an heir, but they were only wanting daughters. Like, oh, wow, you just giving me so much information in literally like 15 minutes. In seconds. And we yeah. don't, we don't need Zordon to stare at us and tell us it. We kind of understand a lot of like, she doesn't really want to do this. He doesn't really, he almost seems apathetic in that moment because he is being pulled at like everywhere he goes for the first half of this movie, he almost has this like zoned out teenager expression of just like, yeah, I know we're going to do the armory and I know I'm you're going to show me all this. And yeah. now mom's going to do her thing and I get it. I'm going to be this great leader. It's like, it isn't really until he finds his own purpose. Like there's that line that Oscar Isaac has of like, you know, the great leaders aren't, they don't want to do it. They're called into it. Yeah. And we see all of these callings that aren't connecting to him. But in that witch's scene, we do specifically get so much of their small world that you are like, I want to know everything about this. Yeah. And he directs it in such a clear way of why this world affects the main character we're following and yet piques our curiosity, but he doesn't do it in a muddled way where it stops the pacing or makes me confused. I don't, I, we could go the rest of this movie without really seeing that. Yeah, like almost, I don't need it to tell the story that you're telling me in front of me, but my interest is piqued. The closest thing I can think of to it is in A New Hope when Obi-Wan gives him the lightsaber and is like, your dad did some stuff in the Clone Wars. We're done with the Clone Wars. Yeah. But like everybody sat there in that theater being like, the Clone War? Well, that's <laughs> what, what is this you speak of? <laughs> there hasn't been a single clone in this film. <laughs> and it's kind of that same, like that lure that pulls you in and, and that keeps happening. Like Josh Brolin's character, the, the way they show the shields even, I was like, ooh, yeah. I would just want to, yeah. I want like a cue scene where you're just telling me how this tech works. But Correct. again, I understand it from the simple, like well, it's blue and it's not that bad. And then yeah. it gets red and it's bad. It's some terrible it's things. really yeah. bad. Like, okay, got it. Like so many visual cues to pick up on. And just such great imagery, the Baron lifting himself up because he can't move when he's yeah. in that sludge talking to Dave Batista. You get 
all the notions of how this world works and why the spice is important. But I don't think they ever sat down and were like, here's why it's important. Yeah. But you get the sense of like, well, everyone's after this. Right. There's it's, obviously it, something big. It's working like a drug, but they want it to be monetized. And the people on the planet are like, get in and get out. Right. And there's an emperor sort of pulling the strings to everybody, kind of like having, playing puppetry. It's a weird thing. My, the, the way that I I filtered it for my brain to sort of accept everything is like, oh, this is like a wild game of capture the flag. And everybody needs to capture the planet. This, this spice planet is their flag. And whoever has it is the one where everybody else starts coming after them. I was like, that's easy. Cool. Got it. Thanks. <laughs> well, it's what I think a good director does is they can take a story that we've seen a lot that is very like he's he's been prophesized to do something. There's currency on this planet and there are people fighting over it. And these are themes and ideas that resonate forever. And we'll right. get into that in a moment. But then you paint it with all the pieces of filmmaking to showcase it in a way that we've never really seen it before. And I think it's even why when the first Matrix came out, we were really blown away. And I love the first Matrix. 45 minutes of that film is exposition. Yes. It's a lot of just like world, 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 world. Correct. And it, it is that weird thing of like, but it's done in such a compelling way that I don't mind. Right. This is almost a like deeper version of that where I'm like, you're almost telling me so little information, yet I'm understanding it and I don't mind. Yeah. And I really want to, I want Dune to be like a Toys R Us in the 90s where I can just run through every aisle and read the back. Give of me that info. Yeah. It, yes. Yes. And just be like, oh my God. Like it's, it's such a, it, they do it in such a great way. But you know, you come back to these big themes when we talk about like, well, why today? Why 2021? Outside of all of the tech and the reasons we talked about. And I think the, the best part about any sci-fi are these themes that we keep looking at through different lenses. And obviously the first lens we looked at was in the 1960s, was during the age of Aquarius, which I, I keep saying for two specific reasons. One, it's what the 60s was sort of called but two, it, we called it that because of the astrological alignment of the planets at the time that they thought was when humanity would take control of the earth and own its destiny as a rightful heritage, which is very much what Dune is about. Right. And what the 60s sort of became about in a weird way of everybody going through these experimental phases and trying to figure out who they are and what they want in their place yeah very much if anyone hasn't watched or heard of hair you should because it's that's basically what that entire play is like figuring right. out your purpose in life yeah <laughs> and it's funny because then you look at that you know through everything else going on we're dealing with environmental stress the 60s had that we're dealing with altered states of consciousness we're dealing with yeah the idea of human potential a revolution against imperialism and against this higher government and you come back to it now in 2021 and you sort of go oh well not too much has changed there's always going to be relevance in the theme of who you are and where your heritage is pulling you and what you're going to mm -hmm. become and all of that but we're still fighting against some bad forms of whatever you want to call it imperialism tyranny fascism whatever item it is there's always this it's kind of like rebellious urge against it we're back in new altered states of consciousness. You could make the argument that we're doing that with social media, with with, with new drugs and legalized right. drugs and 
we're still playing with what that means. And now we have legalized marijuana and we're taxing it and who has it and what's doing what with and it. Who's, and, yep, who's responsible for it? Who's bringing it in? Who's doing it? Yeah, it's, it's all there. It's pretty interesting that it's almost timeless in that way. I think it even becomes like, I mean, it's so on the nose, but if you're like, well, spice is like oil and we're always kind of doing this. And there's always going to be some product that exists. Like there's a lot of, like you're going to have parallelisms. And that's what sci-fi, good sci-fi always sort of does. It's going to be parallels to the things that are happening in your, in your real life. But yeah, you're going to always have something that everybody wants. And then the world is sort of circling around that oil being part of one of those uh, for a while there. Alcohol was that, was that, that drug, uh, like people bootlegging and all that stuff, it, it, it cycles something, it always moves to the next thing, but it's going to always be there. And you have social classes, you have people, the witches are told that hey, you're only supposed to have women or you're only supposed to date within your quote unquote, your own race, your own kind. That's always going to be a part, like all of these type of themes are always a part of this. And that's sort of why good sci-fi, like really well done sci-fi always sort of keeps if you peel back the layers of all the tech and all the effects and whatever, however it's shot, sci-fi at the core is still very much about humanity and whatever it is that we are actually going through currently. Exactly. It's, it's a very interesting beat of like, well, it's always, I feel like you always see somebody who's like, well, we, we don't need our politics here. And it's like, well, sci-fi, even like sci-fi adventure, sci-fi fantasy, whatever they call this of the Star Wars subgenre. Right. Even that has these themes in it, but that is so much more about the individual and the quest mm -hmm. and all of these things where things like Dune are much more about the world. And yeah, you get like more... the, the Gattacas of the world are much more like, all right, let's talk about the world. Like, let's talk about the, the thesis of life. <laughs> Right. With the backdrop of sci-fi happening being there. With yeah. some really cool shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I like we touched on it a little bit before, but the last thing I talk about, because we don't have box office numbers, but I believe that this is currently on its way to do incredibly well. Yeah, it's killing it. Um they're saying they're killing around 53, 55 uh opening weekend with and it's already around the two hundred it's gonna cross two hundred worldwide, which is it's, it's insane because I don't think, look, I think people have already been looking like, all right, this movie's going to do well, but they, they didn't know because sci-fi and it's a dense film and it's such a slow movie and it's a long pace. They didn't expect it to make or go anywhere what it's doing. My theater was packed. I, was, I believe yours was too. Oh, I, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. There's an audience for this bigger than I think that they were anticipating. And I think Denis is sort of building an audience as he goes along he's capturing the flat he's capturing audiences as he goes along like yo if, if he's putting out a movie i should be there and well, it's this is these a, experiences now this is a cross-generational audience you know Correct. my dad's excited i'm excited people younger than me are excited and it, it really kind of proves a lot of those weird like well is hbo max gonna go to that's this decision it's like well clearly people are deciding what to go see they're choosing clearly they're choosing. your your yeah. family movies your space jams are not doing well because people don't take their unvaccinated kids to the theater this makes sense to me the suicide squad actually did fine i think yeah. it did and they were that. in comparison it to other superhero films and that's sort of what well, that was their downfall one superhero film is the highest grossing film of yeah. all time so we don't <laughs> need to do that right. other r-rated superhero movies right that's, that's what should be putting that correct does fine yeah i hope this bodes well for the matrix but clearly this i think just speaks to 
the IMAX, the experience, the sound, the smashing waves, the it's, design, the score even. This was the first time that I heard so many people like, yeah, I know it's coming out on HBO Max and I probably will watch it there, but I need to first see it at a theater. And I'm like, oh, so there are still films that people actually like, that's a theatrical experience. I probably should watch that there first. Oh yeah, I think that's always gonna be the case. I think as we get more and more options, people are gonna start kind of weeding out what is and isn't worth going to the theater to see. And I think Dune, just the look of it is like, yeah, yeah I, I, I'm usually not a big, like we gotta go to the IMAX, but I said that it was like, I am so glad we did this. Glad I made this I choice. almost needed sunglasses on, <laughs> but my God. You, you know what's funny and something that they don't track that I wish, it's weird because the world is changing. They don't do this, but I wish there was a way to track people who saw it because I'm one of them who saw it in the theater like the first couple of days and then went back to HBO Max and rewatched and watched it again. Terrence, so you're I, asking your iPhone to do a lot more tracking than it's already doing and what most people are comfortable with. I don't need my AMC app tethered to my HBO Max account. Like, and then Terrence went and watched this. Consumer data. Yeah, and then Terrence went and watched this immediately afterwards. But Would like, you like to know what he did? Twenty-eight. They're way bolder than me. We, I had a friend who left the theater. And he was like, I'm putting it on right when I get home. And I was like, man, this was like a fettuccine Alfredo yeah, meal. I, I got to take, I got to walk heavy. this one off. Yeah. Like, like and I, and I, and I'm, I do plan to watch it again relatively soon. Uh, but I might chop it down. I mean, I watch all three hours back, to, like all of it together. But it's, uh, it is something that I definitely want to sit back through because, again, I know a lot of people that first hour is very dense and they're explaining a lot. And I think if I go back to rewatch it now that I've seen what happens in the back half, I will appreciate even more because it didn't bother me, but I think I would appreciate even more the first half of this flick and the explanation of all factions and, and, and world and what we did. Uh, but I am, I'm just curious to kind of see how many people went because I've heard that a lot. People be like, yeah, no, I watched it in theater and I'm going to go, I'm going to go right back and watch it again. I'm like, well, okay. Older than me. <laughs> it's a long time. Yeah. A good time, but a long time. <laughs> it's like we saw that at 6.30. It was like 10. What am I, 19? I'm going to watch a three-hour movie at 10 o'clock. Like, and then come back, yeah. What oh, I man. what I am, I know they're going to do it, and and Warner Brothers is all but say like it's happening. What's the spacing of time? Are like they're gonna just be like, yo, go film this now? Like you got to get all these actors back. Like by the time they get this in front of the audience, I mean the the the, the cast back, they're probably not gonna start shooting this till like late twenty twenty two. So we won't get this to twenty twenty four. I'm thinking. Oh, that can't be correct. Which is just insane. That I feel can't like. be right. They have to have a better plan than yeah, that. Yeah, I, I would. I would feel it has as well as it's being received that this should be a little further along than the typical. All right, we're going to start filming now. We stop filming, and then it's going to take a year and a half before we actually put this out. I mean, I'll accept twenty twenty three, twenty twenty four. Yeah. That's an uh, undertaking. It is. It is. I want to see those sandworms again because they were great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the movie, the whole thing was great. I really hope that we can get it sooner than that because no. I do too. <laughs> I do On the too. plus side, I might finish the book before then, which will be which would be nice to do. That's true. 
Uh, well, that's our show, guys. That's it. We, that's Dune, an awesome movie. If you feel safe enough to go to the IMAX theater, I highly recommend it. Otherwise, enjoy it at HBO Max. I'm not here to judge. See the movie. Consume the art. Do it. Yes. Uh, you can, of course, follow the show at Hollywood ADI on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at, as always, Blake Terrence. at Terrence Tatum. And don't forget to leave us a review on the podcast app or a comment on the YouTube channel. And we will see you guys next two weeks. Because next week is Last Night in Soho, which we're not doing. And then we're back for Eternals. Yes. Great. There we go. <laughs> uh, pulled that one out of my hat. Great. We will see you guys in two weeks. Later.